0: This episode of Dinners on Me was recorded on June 14th, 2023.
1: Hi, it's Jesse. Today on the show, you've seen her on Girls 5 Eva and on Broadway in Waitress, Sarah Bareilles. We'll talk about growing up feeling like outsiders and her a cappella group at UCLA that sounds like real-life pitch perfect—
2: we had crazy costumes, we did our hair, we had all this leather, and red, and like, like... More is more. Oh my god, it was just completely embarrassing.
1: This is Dinners On Me, and I'm your host, Jesse Tyler Ferguson. So music is one of those things that really marks time in your life. In 2007, I was 32 years old and single. My first TV job, a sitcom called The Class, had just been canceled and I was filled with simultaneous hope for what was next and fear about what was next. My soundtrack for that year was Little Voice, the debut album of this new artist named Sarah Bareilles. Those songs scored that transition year for me and to this day, every time I hear Love Song or Gravity, I am immediately transported back to my tiny apartment in Silver Lake right before I shot the pilot of Modern Family, right before I met Justin, right before this major chapter of my life was about to begin. If you told me then that Sarah Bareilles and I would eventually find our way to becoming friends, I wouldn't have believed it. People who can create music like Sarah does are just, they're unicorns to me. And I was so excited when our schedules finally aligned and we were able to sit down and have a meal together. Hi, oh my God, you match the curtains. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's so pretty. Don't you feel like you're in, like, a photo shoot for, like, Dwell magazine or something? Yes! <laughs> I asked Sarah to join me at Kafar, an Israeli restaurant and bar in Williamsburg. It's inside the Hoxton Hotel, so it's, it's very hip, and the food is so, so good. I highly recommend the brunch. We're still talking about the Tunisian salad and these Israeli pastries known as borekas. Okay, let's get to the conversation. Wait, what was your first Broadway show that you saw? Falsettos. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, We're napkins beginning. and silverware. So um, are you falsettos. having so much
2: fun making this I am, I'm having a
1: really good time because I'm, first of all, everyone that's been on so far is someone that I already really like and kind of know because I have like major imposter syndrome. We'll definitely talk about that. Yes,
0: me too. Hi. How, Hi. how are you? Good, good, how are you? Beautiful, welcome in. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have any questions? I've
1: got answers. Um, I've heard so. I've heard some things. Yeah. Tell me if this is true. Yeah. That your these your Jerusalem bagels are super famous. Super famous. The egg and cheese is your your t- probably top seller here.
0: I would say so. Although yeah. like the smoked salmon is gonna be like my personal. Okay. Favorite.
1: And your salads here. Huge.
0: They're big. They're big. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. I
0: would say. I've heard
1: great things about these two: the a- Arabic
0: salad yeah. and the. How do you say this? The Tunisian, Tunisian salad. salad. Mm-hmm. It's really, really nice. I would say more so move with the Tunisian salad, okay. and then also the tahina Caesar salad is really, really fantastic. Okay.
1: Can you just talk about the bar- bar- how do you say it? Brekas. Brekas. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So there's just like
1: very classic savory pastries. Mm-hmm. Let's definitely try some of these. Cool. Let's do
2: it.
1: And then um, I'm gonna. Do want to do a Tunisian? Salad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds great. Yeah.
2: Like, I also think the, yeah. the grilled cheese sounded delicious. Let's do it. Let's do then it. we could even try, why don't we try, like, the avocado? Yeah, let's do it.
0: Fantastic. Perfect.
2: Is that too much food?
0: No, no, honestly. I think it'll be perfect it okay? for the both no, of you. No, we're fine. Okay. Sounds good. I'm going to get those rolling for you. Thank if you. If you need anything else, you let me know, okay? Great. Thank you. Thank Cheers. you. The last time I saw you was just a few days ago
1: on the carpet of your Tribeca. I don't
2: know who you Most iconic photos I think (laughs) we're going to end up with from that night. let's talk about this.
1: So Sarah, many people already know this, wrote this musical Waitress. A few nights ago, a live capture of the stage production premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. Sarah invited me to come. I was thrilled to be there. And so I'm on the red carpet, and I get pulled into this group shot with the entire creative team of Waitress. (laughs) And just so people know, it's one of the first... It's the first all crea- all, f-
2: all female department heads of a creative team of a Broadway musical right
1: right 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 and so I'm being pulled into this group of powerhouse women, and there's a and I'm like, I've never been in the show. I am a consumer of the show. I've seen it five times, but I'm not a part of the show. I should not be in this photo. I was Pretty begging funny. to leave, and Sarah was, like, holding on to me and forcing me to be, which I was thrilled about because I'm fans of all of these women. But I was like, one of these things is not like the other, and it's me.
2: <laughs> it was really funny.
1: But, um the the first time I met you in person was when we were both at the opening of She Loves Me, uh-huh. which was the same oh, yeah. season as me doing Fully Committed and you doing Waitress. Yep. You were not in Waitress at that time. No. You were you had just written the show. Just you had just written the I show.
2: Shout it out! <laughs>
1: <laughs> you were the composer uh, and lyricist, right? Did you write the lyrics as mm-hmm. well? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Jesse wrote the book. Yes. And. I remember coming up to you at the opening night of "She Loves Me" and introducing myself, and you were just so warm and effusive and like generous. And you didn't know me from Adam, but like you were right. Just I so right. I was <laughs> very
2: unfamiliar with your. Work. I'm not a fan at all, and was acting warm. Uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You
1: did a very good job yeah. at it. I was like, oh, she's a really good actress. <laughs> so, like, the world of Waitress is sort of like where we became friends. Yeah. I think. You had played the role on Broadway, but you were able to be part of the live capture and play the role of Jenna, mm-hmm. the, the lead in this live capture. Opposite of I didn't know this at the time. The guy who played your husband is your fiance. Yes, that's Joe I did not know it. that. Oh, I you did didn't. not know that that was Joe. <gasps> you yeah. talked about Joe. I yeah. didn't know that that was Joe.
2: Yeah, that's Joe.
1: Talk to me about like what that night was for you. sitting in that audience full of Uber fans.
2: It just was so special, and I felt like getting acknowledged by Tribeca, which is also yeah. this very prestigious, iconic New York film, you know,
1: institution,
2: institution yeah. to get, to be acknowledged in that way as a a musical in the theater community. Mm-hmm. And then to do this really cool kind of like converging of these industries and ending up in Times Square yeah. with this, this simulcast. I mean, it was wild. It just felt like we eventized yeah. this moment in such a special way that if nothing else, I mean, the hope is that we've, that we find a home on a streamer, right? Like, sure. that, you know, that, that we can bring this show to more people. Yeah. But if nothing else ever happened, I feel full. Yeah. I feel like that night was, I wouldn't change anything. I loved it. I will never forget how special that was. And I'm so proud of the film. And, yeah, it was just really amazing. All right,
0: guys, sorry to interrupt. That's okay. So just going to jump in here. This is our scene platter. So we've got oh. all three for you. That's going to be the oats potato, okay. feta, and olive. And then we have the brown butter and artichoke. Ooh. It's going to be our house made tahina, some Yemenite pickles, a hard-boiled egg with a little bit of skrug on top. And then we have it's like a tomato and onion like salad on top of some skrug as well. Just wow. so kind of enjoy, dig in. We're going to start Wait, you off with that. Wait, do you
2: just, do you...
0: Yeah, you can dip, you can... You just put different things on different things.
1: Have a little bit of fun and enjoy. Sometimes when there's too many options like this, I do get overwhelmed. Like, but am I doing it right? <laughs> you know, like, no, it's, it's going to all it's end up in the right. same place. I'm yeah, just going to rip it. Yeah, you started off doing musical theater in high school, was it? Younger than that. My
2: first one was um, a show called Quilters. Do you know Quilters? Yes, I know
1: Quilters, yeah.
2: I was um, one of the two young girls in that show. Uh-huh. And I was in that show with my sister. And right. then I did Charlotte's Web uh-huh. and I did... Um, little Shop of Horrors, I did that in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did the Mystery of Edwin Drood.
1: Okay. <laughs>
2: um, but then I took I when I got into high school, I just started singing in our choirs. Right. And then when I went to college. I started
1: kind of focusing on songwriting. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I asked Justin and Todd, from what I understand, they graduated a little bit before you did. But Todd said that the acapella group had existed since like 1992. But then when Sarah came in, it was like she took it to a whole other level. And then it became like super, well, that's what he says. So let's call Todd. Hindsight,
2: I don't know. I don't know about that. We were doing, we were very focused on choreography, which I think is hilarious. Like we did. At, so Spring Sing, for those of you who don't know, is at UCLA. It's like the spring talent show. So wow. everybody, like Kara's mm-hmm. Flowers, who then eventually became Maroon 5. Yes. That was one of the entries of the, of Spring Sing. But I was in a group called Awaken Acapella, which sounds like a religious revival group. It we, does. We were not. <laughs> um, but we did Like a Prayer by Madonna, and we... Got had like such intense choreography. I'm just like, we are a singing group. It was singing was the last thing. We had crazy costumes. We did our hair. We had all this leather and red and like
1: like more is more. Oh
2: my god! It was just completely embarrassing, but I loved it. That was the first time I felt like in college I had really like found my people. Mm-hmm. And I think if I could go back, I would have been a theater major. I was a communications major, and I got so a I minor. I thought you were a theater major. Mm-hmm. No. I didn't have the confidence. I didn't have the confidence to even pursue music. It really took me a long time to notice that like, that's actually a place where I thrive. I mean, I felt very private about
1: it for a long time. You have a very eloquent way of stating simple things. I find that you, even in your lyrics, you you draw out so much extra emotion and pathos from like super simple things and you just have a way of communicating in a way that that most people are just not gifted to have. Did you realize that in yourself? Did you journal a lot as a kid? I
2: journaled a lot. That's very sweet of you to say. I think I just don't have a big vocabulary.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No. What I mean is, like, and I just want to clarify. What I'm saying, like, you find words Mm. that are not things I would normally think of to describe things that are simple. Mm -hmm. I think it's the exact opposite. You do have a very extensive vocabulary.
2: Oh well. (laughs) At least emotionally. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. That's really, really sweet. I was bullied in school as a, mm, as a kid, too. so yeah. I, I wouldn't change that. Like, I actually think it really nurtures this sense of empathy sure. and compassion for the outsider because no one, it sucks to feel like the outsider.
1: In what ways were you bullied?
2: Well, I was ch- a chubby little kid and I got just horribly teased for that. It was a small Catholic school. Mm. We had a really small class, and it was like you got sort of branded early on, and whether or not you sort of changed Mm -hmm. shape or size. Like, it didn't matter. You just, it stuck. So it was pretty brutal. Even though it wasn't like I got, I didn't get pushed into a locker or stuff like that. It was just words, you know, Mm
1: -hmm. not just words. Words do a lot of damage. Well, no, but also at that age, when you're that young, relationships and friendships are so important. And to feel ostracized from any of that, I think is really scarring.
2: I realized it recently in a therapy session that when I look back on it, what the sense I had is that there was always this sort of trap door. It was like people would be nice to you and then they'd hit you with something. Mm. And so I always felt really unsafe. And so I just, when I think back about that time, I was trying so hard to just shapeshift and just be the thing that like didn't get too much attention but I also was at odds with the part of me that really loves attention and wants to be free and express. But it was interesting to kind of make the realization of like, oh, it's actually a sense of feeling really unsafe. Just like you don't know where like the quicksand is.
1: God, that really resonates with me. Like, because I was as a kid bullied for being gay and it speaks to what I'm just telling you, like that idea of a trap door, not knowing when it's going to open up. It's like, I was like, oh my God, I've never thought about that. But that is exactly how I operated through life. Like, I don't know when I'm like fall through the earth, Yeah, especially in high school. I remember like my least favorite times of the day were, like, the free time, the recess, because, yeah. like, I want structure because it's structure will protect me yeah. and, like, keep me safe in classrooms and, like, I will be able to have eyes on me from people who are meant to protect me. Yeah. But when it's free hour, it's, like, you're on your own. Yeah. And I remember, like, actually going to areas and, like, hiding behind trees and, like, setting up a little area for myself so like to, like, keep out of the way of my bullies and trying to be invisible, which is, you know, not what any kid should be taught to do. I had theater programs that I would do outside of high school and outside of school, and that's where I found my people and I felt very safe around them. But that desire to create and that joy of creating, I couldn't bring to school because there was no safe space for it. There's no safe
2: space. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. I think once you've been sort of like imprinted with that sense, it's like, it doesn't matter if the environment changes that sense comes with you like yeah. I'm thinking in high school I finally left the Catholic school and I went to public school for eighth
1: grade Guys. sorry to interrupt you though no you're all good well, oh no I'm not you
0: these are delicious how is everything yeah I mean yeah. these are amazing so, so good, no? so good. So this is gonna be that Tunisian oh my salad gosh. got this really nice like harissa tahina kind of like dressing going on pistachio, olives so again a nice hard boiled <laughs> egg classic some beautiful tuna on top Thank enjoy you. Thank really you. In this. We're going to get sure. To to thank Enjoy. you, thank you,
1: thank you. Now for a quick break, but don't go away. When we come back, I'll talk to Sarah about her early days performing in Los Angeles, her big break with Maroon 5, and how we never really stopped wanting to please our parents. Okay, be right back. And we're back with more Dinners on Me. Sarah and I were just talking about our experiences being bullied and feeling like we didn't quite fit in. All right, let's jump back in. So you went away in, in eighth grade? So day. I went
2: away in eighth grade. And I guess in eighth grade, that's kind of where I started noticing that I was getting a lot of positive attention for singing. hmm I think I sang, like, the national anthem at at an assembly. I definitely sang Save the Best for Last by Vanessa Williams. And I got a lot of lovely validation and, like, excitement from my classmates about my voice. And even that, you know, I think everything sort of runs the risk of turning a little bit toxic. Even this is some of the shit that came up in the pandemic is, like, am I valuable if I don't have my voice. Mm-hmm. Like, am I valuable without this thing that might make me special in certain people's eyes? Like, so I always say like, being a human is hard. Like, yeah. it's really complex yeah. and just trying to navigate what we cling to to feel special and what we cling to to feel safe. But ultimately the public school was like such a different experience, even though I was always still like ready to run. Like I had my mm-hmm. fight or flight also was very like hyperactivated. Mm-hmm. And I was always ready for someone to say something mean or to make me feel small or ugly or awful or whatever. And thankfully, it didn't I actually had a fairly positive experience in high school overall until the end of my, like around my senior year when my, you know, my first love cheated on me. And then I wrote Gravity, though. That's what I got out of that. Oh, really? 18 years old. I wrote that song.
1: Wow! Isn't that
2: crazy? When I think about it now, I'm like, wow.
1: Does he know that that song? Yeah, I think. Him?
2: Well, actually, I don't even know. Really? I, we're not in close contact. I mean, but you've he's not a bad about before, guy. Yeah, so we were like, kids. I mean, but mm-hmm. I talked about it in my book, and I mm-hmm. hilariously like I used his initials instead of his name, and I was like, well, I live in a tiny fucking town. Like this is. Not- It's gonna be hard to figure out who this is. Right, right,
1: right, right. But um, that's hilarious.
2: No, that was kind of when I started writing songs, and they were like an extension of the journal entry.
1: Were you getting encouragement from any other places?
2: I I remember playing a song called Water Dancer.
1: Okay, is this the song you wrote?
2: This is the song I wrote.
1: Have have, Um. Has anyone else heard it? Is it in the trunk?
2: I don't I think it needs to stay in the trunk. <laughs> I was listening to a lot of Tori Amos at the time and okay. I was trying to figure out how to be mm-hmm. like intense and
1: mm-hmm.
2: profound in a way that was really Tell me the name of the song again. Water dancer. Okay. Got it. I feel like one of the lyrics was the songs are all written by drowning water dancers, so they all stop making sense at some point.
1: Songs are all written by drowning water dancers. They stop making sense at some
2: I imagine point. I meant like, so when they die, when they stop. So the songs stop making sense. I don't even know what I meant. I don't even know what I meant by that song.
1: I mean, it's somewhat profound. Is it? Is <laughs> I don't that know. What
2: is it? Anyway, well, I played it for my high school, like music class maybe or something. Yeah. It's a foggy memory for me, but I could absolutely sense the confusion. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I
2: felt very embarrassed. Oh. And so then I stopped playing out in front of people for a long time, a lot of years.
1: It's a very vulnerable thing to write a song and, and, well, I mean, any sort of, I think, artistic expression. And I can only imagine at that age. And, you know, singing itself, I think, is such a vulnerable thing.
2: Completely. Trying things out for the first time and, like... Especially when it's something you make, you mm-hmm. know, it's so intense.
1: This doesn't totally correlate with what you just said, but I think you might find it somewhat humorous. Being a musical theater fan, I um, ah, yes, please try the salad. It's great.
2: The food is amazing. Isn't it great?
1: The dressing on the salad is quite remarkable. Um, for my senior graduation, I sang "You'll Never Walk Alone" from Carousel, which oh, is a great song for beautiful. for a graduation. Mm-hmm. When you walk through a storm, keep your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. And you know, going on to you know. Lives in college and like, you know, saying goodbye to friends. It was was all very, that wasn't enough for me to just sing that song. (laughs) I wrote a third verse. (laughs) Because I wanted it to be a little longer. The song was too short for me. Of course. It was like 90 seconds.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. I needed it to be uh, 2.30. Yeah, yeah. Wrote a third verse. <laughs> Thought that Oscar Hammerstein and <laughs> Richard Rodgers' song was not complete. No, it's not totally no, complete. No, they needed a, a <laughs> Jesse Tyler Ferguson <laughs> third verse. Oh, my God. Do you
2: remember the lyrics?
1: I've, I feel like it was bad. When you're sad and you're tired and you're, the road is long. I mean, it was just like cliches, cliches, cliches. No one knew when but you're
2: me. And
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. and When you're driving <clears> and <throat> the, the lights go out. I mean, there must have been some people out there who were like, mm, like their heads crocked a little bit like, oh, I'm not sure if this was, I don't remember this verse. <laughs> but none of my, my classmates knew. It's like so they sweet. weren't musical theater fans. Yeah. Anyway, I thought I was contributing to the canon. But who knows? I
2: hope we get to hear that come out at some
1: point. I, would, I wish I had those letters written down somewhere. I mean, they must be somewhere. I, I sang I
2: mean. time after time at graduation. Did you? I
1: did. <laughs> classic. <laughs> it is classic. It's classic.
2: Time after time.
1: I went to a performing arts school. Called Wait, where did you go? The American Musical and Dramatic Academy. Oh. Here in New York City. Their class system, I think at the time, they might even like say that's not how we, we did things, but like you could kind of tell that they had different groupings, and the people with, like, the really good voices or, like, the really great dancers, the kind of, like, the triple threats, they were all in Group A. Mm -hmm. And then it went all the way down to Group F. And um, the Group F, it's not that they were untalented by any means, but, like, they were kind of, like, the more, like, quirky, like, wacky people. For all of us, it seemed very clear where these groups laid and, like, how... And kind of, like, the support that was maybe put behind the people in Group A was a little more... um, Robust. yeah robust is a great word <laughs> and i was in group d so i was kind of in the middle and i just remember feeling like i wasn't quite sure if like the system in the school was totally supportive of what i had to offer
2: uh-huh.
1: um, because i wasn't a great dancer i had an okay voice um but you know i, I kind of just did everything all right <clears throat> um and I later found like my talents in other places, and being an actor, it's like it's all about interpretation of text, and like there's so many other things that we offered other you than know, like can you tap dance? Yeah. But you know, being a musical theater student, it was like that was a very important thing for me. So I guess I had to like really step up to bat for myself, yeah. And like really believe in like my ability to go the full distance because I just don't know if I felt that going in, and I really yeah. had to like make the decision <laughs> to back myself. And that was something that as an 18 year old was kind of hard to do. Like I kind of wanted a little bit more um, encouragement from anyone. Totally.
2: That resonates so much with me because we're like trained to need the outside validation. Like that's how Mm -hmm. classrooms work. We're not sort of taught to develop this sense of like intrinsic Alignment, like, are you? Am I good? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, let's see. Like, that's the thing that I think I work the hardest on now, and as an adult, is like to keep checking in on like where I abandon myself. Mm. And at that age, I was like, I mean, I was a few years before having my first nervous breakdown and like total disassociation and my anxiety, like all of the things that would be like very much passengers in my life and in my vw bug or whatever i'm right. driving on this road of life right 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 let's call it has gotta be yeah i think it just goes such a long way when mm-hmm. somebody like believes in you yeah. and says i think there's something special here yeah i think i had more landmines than than like really great cheerleading experiences mm-hmm. like i remember i started writing songs and playing shows and i always felt this Tug towards making music and singing.
1: When you say playing shows, are you talking? This is in, in this college. This is at
2: UCLA. So I. So
1: I, like, what was what? What did playing a show look playing like? Playing a show
2: time? looked like a, an open mic night at a coffee shop. Okay. or There's a kosher Chinese food named uh, a restaurant named Genghis Cohen. Okay. There's a place called Molly Malone's. I know Molly Malone's. Yeah. 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 yeah, there's, yeah. Um, I mean, eventually I ended up at the Hotel Cafe, which became like...
1: That's very big deal.
2: Yeah, really, really big deal to mm-hmm. get a booking there. Yeah, Shoshana Bean plays there a lot. That's right. It's, a, it's an amazing yeah. songwriter venue. I yeah. just, it's one of my absolute favorites.
1: But at that time it was coffee houses. Coffee house,
2: and... I mean, like anywhere that would have me, right. I would play. I right? opened for a magician at this place in Long <laughs> Beach. I, I would just like, I would take any, anywhere that would have me. I think that, that thing you're saying about like betting on yourself, like why do you th- what was it that felt alive for you about that was was it just your own voice that came for out for
1: a lot of th- it was just me thinking I don't know what else to do like uh-huh. this is just like where my passion comes from like it, go- it goes back to like me finding my people mm-hmm. in that community theater program outside of high school and like feeling so at home with them yeah. and knowing that like I, I felt like a more complete version of myself doing that thing with these people. We were terrible, by the way. Like, you know, the shows we did were awful. But like, I felt so good doing that thing. I was like, I don't know. It seems like when you're at that age, and like, okay, what's the lesson for life here? Not everyone gets the privilege of doing this, but you should be doing things that make you happy. Right. And that makes me happy. That's a conduit for me being a full version of myself.
2: Yeah. Was your family supportive?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a way that like, you know, they, they were, when I came to New York, I think you know I, there was n- there was no like moment in my childhood where like oh this is a sign of confidence for him that like, he's gonna absolutely succeed in this business like I was never getting like speaking roles in like the community theater I was always like you know the tree in the background um, <laughs> but uh, I so I think for my parents they were like oh gosh he might be like you know making his money by like playing this guitar in the subway and like mm-hmm. he'll figure it out they were happy I was doing what I wanted to do and they yeah. were supportive of that but I think that they were also very scared for like. Ooh, how I was going to make this work out.
2: Totally. I think my family actually was, I think, very much the same way. Yeah. Like, I remember my dad coming to a show where there was maybe, I don't know, maybe a hundred people there or something mm-hmm. there. And, and it was like a big, he's
1: like, wow.
2: Are like, are they
1: all here to see you? And mm-hmm. like,
2: yeah, dad, dad, I'm like, the mm-hmm. people are coming to watch I've me. Have,
1: I have those moments with my parents still today. Me too, <laughs> me
2: too. My, my dad's, yeah, he's, and it's so funny, like I can't, ever come out from under that of like Mm -hmm. I just want to please my parents (laughs)
1: same I don't think we ever will no
2: I think that's and I don't think
1: our parents ever got out from that from their uh, parents I
2: know I know it's really Mm -hmm. again being human
1: yeah yeah absolutely what was your leap from songwriting and playing in these kosher Chinese 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 restaurants (laughs) to was it your relationship with Maroon 5 and did they give opportunity to you early on
2: yeah that was one of my I guess sort of Big breaks when I look back at it. Yeah. They took me on a tour. They did a two week tour of East Coast
1: colleges. And what, what, what level was their fame at this point?
2: This Love, their, their first mm-hmm. big song that broke like hard on yeah. the radio had just broken. Oh,
1: wow. So, like,
2: they'd been a they band a forever and they'd been playing tons and tons of shows, but were kind of, you know, very grassroots, making it work, did a ton mm-hmm. of touring, but hadn't had a big hit on the radio. And then this Love took off. So I was actually, I joined them on tour kind of right at the cusp of where their fame was like sort of taking on this new level and those shows were crazy. And I toured with them a handful of times and their manager started managing me. Although it's always, it's never the timing you think. Like I went on tour with them for these two weeks and it was like a a springtime tour. And I came back just ready, you know, buckle up, Sarah. Life's (laughs) going to change. Everything's going to get crazy. Mm -hmm. And nothing happened for like, I don't know, eight months, nine months. And then their manager reached out, Jordan Feldstein. And he started working with me and then I started doing... Some showcases. Now, all along this time, I was really devoted to playing shows in L.A. I did a ton. I did hundreds and hundreds of these little gigs and and really, like— built a grassroots following. And UCLA was really helpful and instrumental in that. Like the community, I played at UCLA, I played at, in Westwood. Yeah,
1: according to Todd, it's true. <laughs> that is absolutely 100% that, true.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so I had built a little bit of a fan base there. And then I actually had a couple of songs that got featured in these like indie films. There's actually two lesbian films, Girl Play and Loving Annabelle, that okay. were two of the films that featured, I think they both featured Gravity. So then... Um, my LGBTQ community came yes. out for me. I just started feeling this kind of groundswell of interest and and really just attachment to the songs. And I was getting really this early information of every time I can share the most vulnerable thing, that's the song that like gravity, for example. I was in an incredible amount of pain when I wrote that song. And I was, you know it's scary to share that. And then you realize like, oh no, everybody's in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. and everybody wants a way like some kind of conduit to be able to feel it Mm -hmm. and to feel less alone, I think, in all of that. So I was playing hundreds of shows, started working with Jordan, and then I did some showcases for labels, and eventually, after lots of people did not want to work with me, um, finally Epic Records signed me, and then I got my first record deal. And my first record came out in 2007, same day as Katy Perry's Yeah, this little voice came out on the same day as um, one of the boys, her giant record. And I remember having, and Katie's a friend of mine, but I just remember having this moment of like, oh, wow, these two things are very different. And she was on this rocket ship. I remember having a lot of like, I don't know, just like, am I going to find my place here? I just felt like it's so clear that people want that even me like I wanted to listen to her record right I was like I can't make that record it doesn't it doesn't live on me in the same way Do you know That's, what I mean
1: yeah totally but also like I'm thinking <clears> back. <about, throat> I remember when that came out she was such a packaged thing there was a look there was a there was outfits there was this sound and it's kind of like going back to like grade school and like the popular kids and like oh how can I be like that yeah and like, I'm just, all I have to offer is this thing. Yeah. And it's about emotion and it's about my feelings. And, you know, how does that compare to someone yeah. who's, you know. Seemingly
2: it, has all of these other of these elements other that All things and tricks that
1: yeah. 100% that yeah. totally makes so much sense to me. But also something I just want to like circle back and just put a pin in is like, you're talking about people resonating with writing things that come from a place of pain and sadness and people needing that. It's an interesting
2: thing. Everybody kind of has these these human emotions we go through the washing machine of of what it feels like to just move through grief and sadness and pain and joy and regret and you know we have all of these different states of mind and my job is to kind of like be the stenographer here like i'm just right. like trying to to observe and to capture and to translate so that you have somewhere to go when you're like oh this song really, help. I mean, I have those songs of other artists where I'm like, when I'm feeling a certain kind of way, mm-hmm. I go reach for that because it's so comforting. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like an infinite well to draw from. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I guess
1: it's just also part of being an artist in, in lots of different platforms. You know, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I love hearing people who say that they, they turn on Modern Family when they need to be comforted. It makes Completely. me very happy that I can be that for them. You it's know?
2: interesting, though, because people create their own intimate relationships with your work mm-hmm. and so they feel like they know you yeah. and and sometimes and I'm such a like I'm very stubborn about that anyway in my life. Mm-hmm. Like I don't really like anybody feeling like they know me better sure. than I know my you know what I yeah. mean? Like I just think that's ridiculous. It's presumptuous. Yes, completely. And some people feel mm-hmm. very entitled to your time and attention. Extra
1: time beyond the performance you yeah,
2: and Yeah and you I think sometimes there's not as much of a an understanding of the amount of time, the amount of bandwidth that you're already spending on yes. preparation and um, just care for what you need to do to give the the right performance. Right. And sometimes you're just having a shit day. Yeah. And like I was on a phone call one time on the street and I was in tears, sobbing in tears. And this guy like taps me on the shoulder and was like, can we, can I take a picture with you? And I, I just thought it was so insensitive and it made mm-hmm. me feel like, you fucking asshole, no. I, right. Can you not see that I'm right. like, completely devastated right yeah. now. And I can't remember if I said yes or no right now, but I feel like my my little people pleaser probably turned on and I was like, yeah, hold on, let me just go. Yeah. Maybe I said no, it's not a good time, but right. it just feels like it's so insensitive to the humanity of what we do yeah. too, that we're trying to show up as best we can. Right. And sometimes you're just having a really bad, hard day.
1: Sure. Now for a quick break, but don't go away. When we come back, I'll talk to Sarah more about her experience with anxiety, how it showed up in her relationship with her partner, Joe Tippett, and what she decided to do about it. Okay, be right back. And we're back with more Dinners on Me. You've been very upfront and honest about mental health and your anxiety which mm-hmm. oh my god I was so relieved to hear another one of my friends has anxiety <laughs> in the way that I feel like I do you've moved from different facets of the entertainment industry as a, as a singer as an artist you know on the road on tour which I assume could be a very isolating experience mm-hmm. into something um, where you're, you're now acting you're part of ensemble cast which is a very different experience you know mm-hmm. you're surrounded by people and it's it's something you're going through with, with a whole band of people but you're also more accessible to fans Yep. How have you managed your anxiety going through these different facets of your life? And I, I, I know medication is something that you've recently um, yeah. embraced, um, which I'm also like, oh, maybe any day for me right now. Oh, um,
2: I resisted being on medication staunchly. I mean, mm-hmm. I only started it, I guess, maybe a year and a half ago now. I felt like my fear... Was that it would be suppressing something rather than excavating? Mm-hmm. That I would be suppressing some essential part of my being. Mm-hmm. That there was some wisdom in this sadness. There was some wisdom in this depression. There's some wisdom in this anxiety that I'm not hearing yet. I'm not reading it. I'm not. I, I'm. I. You know. I'm too confused, and I gotta stay you know, like a dog with a fucking chew toy. Like I couldn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to look at it from any other perspective. But I think the trick is that your brain chemistry can get destabilized. And then you're no longer operating at a capacity in which you have the space or the bandwidth to really sit and work on, okay, what is being triggered right now? Why am I having this reaction to this degree? Why can I not let go of this thing? I'm having obsessive thoughts. I am um, I mean, for me, my anxiety would manifest especially acutely in my relationship with Joe Mm. and I was convinced that I had to leave the relationship Mm. and it was very scary because it didn't feel true. Like I was having this like,
1: like self-destructive
2: completely. I was, I was having this very like bifurcated sense of myself. Like there was, and I, I started to feel like a little bit crazy God, where I'm just so like
1: relatable. I'm just
2: like I don't know I can't trust my own opinion because yeah. what feels really like oh my knowing is telling me this thing but there was another part of me that was like I didn't quite trust it it felt like goblins. Like, a,
1: like a separate Sarah operating outside of Sarah a
2: little bit yeah I know I mean this I'm, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a psychiatrist but It reminded me of these disassociative thoughts where you sort of just feel like you're a little bit outside yourself, watching yourself move through your life. And the first time I went through that, I was just out of college. I had like a real hard time getting to the end of the runway of being in school and then not knowing what came next. You know, the quote unquote open road, I found to be just absolutely terrifying. I couldn't manage the thought of like, I just have to like be alive now. I have to be just like, go through day after day after day. It just felt like oppressive and miserable and terrifying. I'm an adult. I'm in charge of myself. What does that even mean? Yeah. And then, yeah, it would come and go in waves and what I have learned about myself. And I just, when we we just moved to Brooklyn and I just had another little twinge of anxiety and a, a new discovery for me, which is, Always in tandem with medication, meditation, yes. and therapy. Mm-hmm. Those are my three like main tenets of yeah. management for my mental health at, yeah. this, at this moment in time. Sure. I realized that my anxiety spikes when I'm not speaking truth. When I'm doing a little bit of like this abandoning of myself let I call it or I've people heard someone pleasing, else maybe? the people pleasing and especially with Joe when we're in a tough spot moving is very disruptive obviously oh, it's one and of the
1: hardest things to go through and to go through as a couple
2: oh my gosh it was yeah. so intense and it was really like I didn't particularly love how either one of us showed up in that time and then I just wasn't saying what was really on my heart mm-hmm. and then I started like going away from myself I could feel myself kind of like disappearing and, and the anxiety kind of started to move in but the great news is that I'm a little bit more aware of those triggers, triggers now, and yeah. so we kind of nipped it in the bud. But that's a very uncomfortable and really, really common experience. Right. Yeah, I think I used to feel a lot of shame about it. I was so angry at myself for not being happy. Well, I, you and I know? talked about
1: this with Kristen, and like, you know, th- there's this expectation of you know, I you, you have a great career, you have a great life you, you you have a partner, you have a wonderful home, right. you have a great dog, like yeah. what like why what do you have to be sad about, and there is that guilt of like but I am feeling out of control with my emotions, and that's valid, yeah, because it's it's more than just these things there's totally. we're, we're all so much more complicated than yeah. those things, that's right. all of us, yeah, I, yeah, I also so
2: think a lot about like how we show up in these relationships, and they can be romantic relationships or friendships or whatever like. A a recent kind of thought for me is that I don't want to be like performing the role of sister, performing the role of daughter. Like I am really trying to show up wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. and wholeheartedly sometimes means brokenheartedly, sometimes means angrily, sometimes means whatever it is, you know, fill in the blank, but just to actually show up with what's true and trust that like the intimacy, like the actual real connection that I know that I crave mm-hmm. is only born out of that. There's mm-hmm. nothing good that comes out of me pretending like I'm happy for a fucking weekend so I don't disrupt any joy for somebody else. I'm just like, and then I really wasn't in the room. Right. If I'm showing up and I'm really in despair, I have to trust that like my partner, my friends want to sit with me in that at yeah. least for a, a minute. You know, we don't have to live there the whole time, right. but at least to like, not deny that that part of you also exists and is lovable. Like you said, I think that's so beautiful.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, so much of my anxiety arose after the success of modern family Mm. and just feeling like I was in a bubble and like I was, you know, on display and I I, I, I can't go this place, that place for you, like knowing that you had this anxiety and, um, we're you know maybe not managing it early on, but I'm managing it now, just moving into a world in, into a realm where you were then not just in control of like okay I'm, I'm creating these songs and I'm, I'm giving them to you, but now I'm like an actress I'm, I'm performing on stage or I'm doing you know, a, a TV show, and like has that shifted anything for you as far as your anxiety and kind of your the expectations of the industry on you
2: I mean, like I always felt trepidatious about fame. I always was a little scared of it, to be honest. Yeah. I kind of think I sensed I'm not really that well suited for it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I feel a lot of, um, it's that pressure to perform and not yeah. disappoint anybody yeah. all the time. And I have not enough of that shit. And um, I didn't like the idea of a loss of privacy. And
0: hi. How are you guys doing in
1: here? We haven't touched the avocado toast yet. Okay. Don't be mad it's at it's us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've really just been giving you all the space that you need. Um, Thank you. i just going to get this out of your way. Can I give you anything else? Um, you just kind of work in slowly. I think I'm good. Beautiful. Yeah, oh, oh, can I, I, I will try a little, little
1: coffee, though? A little coffee. Ooh, I'll have
0: some coffee. Drip, yeah. espresso. How do you like it? I'll, I'll
1: do a drip with a little milk.
0: Beautiful. Whole
2: I milk would do you. whole milk. Whole milk's good. Sounds good. Can I do an Americano with some steamed oat milk if you yeah. have it? I Thank you. I got you. I'll be Thank, you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. No problem. Um, like, when I signed my record deal, I bawled. I, I went to my lawyer's office, I signed the paperwork, I walked back into my little apartment on 14th Street in Santa Monica and I sat on my coffee table and I cried my eyes out and I felt like it's over. I've, give, I've sold my soul, oh my I've sold, I was like so terrified. And when I think back, it's the same theme over and over again, I'm 43 now, 42, 43, I'm 43. God, you people really do like start, I, I start to lose I, track I of round my age. Up.
1: I I said 48 the other day and Jess was like, you're not 48 yet. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm close. It's like October. Let's just call 48.
2: I'm 43.
1: 48. I'm somewhere in our 40s.
2: But like that idea that the fear of anything is that I won't be able to handle it. I think it's actually about yeah. like, I don't trust myself mm. enough to like be able to move into whatever it is, difficult situation, fill in the blank. I don't have enough trust in myself that I will be able to handle it. And that is the thing that I have been building for all these years and continue to really work on building is that I am my home everywhere I go. And I can go into a party I hate. I can go into a press conference. I can go into a Broadway show. I can go into a TV station. I can stay in connection with myself and give myself everything I need. All the time. Now that that sounds really nice. It doesn't fucking work out that way. Like I, yeah. I'm a mess most of the time. But that's like what I come back to. That I really am working to like cultivate all the time. Yeah. And because I do think the anxiety, especially in our industry, we're just—it's so fragile that balance mm-hmm. because there's so much scrutiny and so much attention and so much nitpicking and so much. I mean, I think about this as a woman who's aging. I mean, I'm sure everybody thinks about this stuff, but my physical being is on display and i'm someone who at least for this moment is choosing to just age naturally i'm not doing anything to my face i'm not doing anything to my body i'm just really trying to love what i am yeah. what i already am yeah. and it's imperfect and it hurts to be in front of people sometimes and it is like feels very vulnerable and scary and but i'm really trying and at least for today It's like that the dress I wore at the Tonys. I I wrote this on my Instagram. I saw your Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't. I went to this fitting and this dress. I fucking love this dress. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's this beautiful couture. I've never worn anything like it. Like I have always really played it safe. And some of this is like residue from being a little kid who got made fun of all the time for my body. And but I thought this dress was so beautiful. It had a totally open back. Yeah. And. I tried it on and I looked at myself from the back and I was like, oh, you can see like rolls on my back, like my, my back fat or whatever. And I just, I was like, I think I should, I should probably cover that up. I should really cover that up. And then chose a different dress, totally on the path to wearing something else where I would feel safe and covered and not stick out. Right. And thankfully Joe Tippett, my partner is so, he's so attuned to me and in, in just the right ways I mean, we have a lot of issues too, but like he, yeah, in well, some way, does. every couple does. but like he is so, he's so special in this way and he's like, wear the fucking dress, wear the dress. Yeah. You deserve to wear a dress like this. You look beautiful. And like, it made, it reminded me of like, I'm someone who's trying to put my money where my mouth is Yeah, and be like, I want As women, especially, but as everybody, I want us to feel safe in ourselves, Mm -hmm. that we can go. I don't want to deny myself something that I think will bring me joy because I'm afraid of what someone will say. That seems so crazy. That seems so juvenile now when I think about it. I'm like, fucking I've, I've worked my ass off. I've built I'm this beautiful, I'm a grown woman, in, a my grown 40s. woman <laughs> in my forties. I built this beautiful career that yeah. I've worked my ass off for. I want to celebrate in this gorgeous dress. <clears throat>
1: yeah.
2: Bye. Yeah. See you at the party. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I was really glad that I, but I felt like, Oh, I'm, I'm challenging myself a little bit. And I wasn't without self-consciousness all night. And you know, I thought about it and then,
1: Sure. I was like, doing it anyway. You don't just turn that off. It's not a faucet. No. I mean, you look stunning. Oh, thank you.
2: I just, I had the best time. I I so enjoyed, I think what I ended up feeling actually was really quite proud of myself for doing the thing that I was a little bit scared to do. So that also was infused in the night. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like I've been trying to pin you down for, we had lunch Together. The last time I sat down to have a meal with you was before we went to go see Shoshana Bean and Waitress together. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's Shoshana right. Bean is a good friend of both of ours. Um, and we went out to lunch and then we went uptown to, to go see her. And you did not sit with us. you like, I'm not going to watch the show again. Like, you watch from like, the back of the house yeah, and you're like what? roaming around. Yep. Um, but that was the last time I got to sit down with you. And I've been hungry for more cerebral all this time. So more, I was more, like, more. you know what, I'm going to start a podcast
2: just Call it dinners, dinners on
1: Me just to have Sarah <laughs> say yes. That's so
2: sweet of you. Thank <laughs> <I mean>, you. <laughs>
1: Thank you for doing this. Oh, my gosh.
2: It's my pleasure. And i got to feed you. No, I'm this food. food was delicious. Yeah. We'll definitely come back.
1: Absolutely. Next time on Dinners on Me, the creative culinary marvel that is Roy Choi We'll talk about the rise of Kogi and what it was like when a series of his restaurants closed in close succession and wandering Hollywood Boulevard as a teenager. And if you don't want to wait until next week to listen, you can download that episode right now by subscribing to Dinners on Me Plus. As a subscriber, you not only get access to new episodes one week early, you'll also be able to listen to them completely ad free. Just click Try Free at the top of the Dinners on Me show page on Apple Podcasts to start your free trial today. Dinners on Me is a production of Neon Hum Media, Sony Music Entertainment, and A Kid Named Beckett Productions. It's hosted by yours truly. It's executive produced by me and Jonathan Hirsch. Our showrunner is Joanna Clay. Chloe Chobel is our associate producer. Sam Baer engineered this episode. Hansdale Dale she composed our theme music. Our head of production is Sammy Allison. Special thanks to Alexis Martinez and Justin Makita. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Join me next week.